Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Periodically, we get together as a UPR community. Um, UPR listeners, along with the most NPR listeners, are avid readers, and uh, so uh, we compile a UPR community book list. This is nice because I may not have thought of reading such and such a book. We compile our list and we help each other with some great reading tips. And we're going to put that on our website, upr.org, at the end of this hour, upr.org. Uh, the place to reach us here, we want to know what you're reading, what's on your nightstand or device right now, what's the best book you've read so far this year, and which books are you suggesting to friends or family. We'd love to hear about any book you're reading, including the young adult or children's categories. Here's how you reach us. You can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll also, during this hour, get reading suggestions on new books from Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks, Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop, and Annie Nettle from Back and Beyond Books in Moab. UPR friend and uh, avid reader Lane Thatcher is with me in studio. Thanks for coming in again. Nice to be here again. Nice to do this uh, periodically. Yeah. I should say the <clears throat> another hat you wear is uh, Summerfest director. Yes, I'm the director of Summerfest Arts Fair in Logan, which is we're, we're ramping up significantly now. I was going to say, probably yeah. in <laughs> the ramp up period yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> and that happens when? June 5th, 13th through 15th. It's always Father's Day weekend. Okay. So, uh, yeah. uh, on the grounds of the Logan Tabernacle. Tabernacle, yep. yeah. Okay, so we'll look forward to that. Uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, we want to know what you've been reading. Let me get uh, straight to um, this email. It's come in from Emily Bassett. Now, Emily uh, says uh, she's been reading The Undefeated Mind, the subtitle on the science of constructing an indestructible self. Alec Lickerman, uh, MD. And uh, so that's one of the books that uh, she's uh, reading. And The Power of Now, uh, she says. Uh, let's see. I'm uh, trying to click on this link. i got to get the other link out of the way. There we go. Uh, the Power of Now, she gives a link to Google Books here. Number one, New York Times bestseller, Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment. Uh, Eckhart Tolle. Um, so those are um, a couple of books that she's reading. She says, uh, Undefeated Mind and Power of Now are two outstanding books that have had a profound impact on my life. And that's uh, Emily. So thanks for that. That's great. Yeah. So what's top of your list? Your well, list? you know, I didn't get as much reading done this quarter as I usually do. I think I'm, you know, falling asleep sooner or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> but you know, last quarter I had read a whole bunch of books and I wasn't that impressed with most of them. Mm -hmm. This time I've read some really good books. Oh, good. And good. Uh, and I, as usual, I'm always about 20 years behind everybody else. I'm finally reading The Botany of Desire by Michael Pollan. Oh, beautiful book, yeah. Wonderful book. And yeah. I, I, it's it's almost, I mean, I am truly a novel reader. I, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but uh, this one reads so smoothly and easily and interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, the story of John, Johnny Appleseed and the story of tulips in Holland and, and all of this. And it, it's, uh, I love it. It's, yeah. it's a very good book. By the way, the, the, the bad books, the ones you didn't uh, <laughs> enjoy, how, how long do you give a book? How many pages do you think? Or does oh, it vary? I have to be engaged by about, I don't know, by, by 50 to 100 pages, depending on mm -hmm. how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Uh, probably, I, I probably pull the trigger sooner if mm -hmm. I'm not into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 30 pages And or sometimes I you know? read them all the way through, but I, I end up thinking, oh man, that was a waste of time, yeah. you know, but... Yeah. Okay. It's Botany of Desire, Michael Pollan. We're, uh, we're looking, you know, reach back in the past as well. 
Um, but we do bring in uh, now Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. So we'll be looking at um, at uh, new books. Before we jump into that, Andy, and by the way, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good Hi, morning. Andy. So um, uh, Elaine Thatcher here was saying that she, uh, you know, she's kind of behind the curve. She'd reached back Always. and been reading Michael Pollan, uh, Botany of Desire. Is there any book like that Do you, you know, you, a bunch of new books, of course, as a bookseller, but uh, do you reach back every once in a while, Andy? Well, you know, I, I tend not to as much as I used to uh, prior to uh, being so involved in the book trade when I could read anything I wanted, any time I wanted. Now I seem to uh, read mostly new releases, material that's come into the store or forthcoming releases that publishers are anxious to get into our hands. And so it's dramatically changed my reading habits, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that's for the good or not. Yeah, yeah. Occupational <laughs> I hazard, if you call it. I tend to breeze through a lot more material than I used to. Yeah. I'll read a chapter here or a chapter there just to get a flavor for what the book is, and then sometimes I'll move right on. But as Elaine just mentioned, uh, you don't have time to read a bad book, so I, <laughs> I discard those very quickly. What, what, what's your limit? How, how soon do you pull the trigger on a bad book? Oh, Tom, that's a good question. You know, it's usually within a chapter or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. anymore, what makes a bad book often is, is poor editing, Poor yes. grammar. Mm-hmm. There's yes. so many books being self-published that get thrown our way, and if they don't do their job with with editing, I I pretty much discard it pretty quickly. It drives mm-hmm. me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's There's no excuse for it. That's true. Um, well, let's jump into some of the, some new books then. What uh, What do you recommend, Andy? Oh my gosh, there's so many great titles, and this is a very slight throwback in that it came out. Uh, very late last year, but it's one of your colleagues, uh, Daniel Davis, Across the Continent, the Union Pacific Photographs of Andrew J. Russell. Uh, Dan Davis is the photo archivist for the special collections at Utah State University, Mm. Mm -hmm. and he has been uh, interested, obviously, in photography, but also specifically of the photography of Andrew J. Russell, who was hired by the Union Pacific in 1867-1868 to document the construction of the Transcontinental Railway. And, of course, as we approach May 10th, which is the 150th anniversary, uh, the timeliness of this book is really, really good. Uh, Russell was a Civil War photographer who came west, and he didn't have the glamorous job of photographing some of the rugged terrain that the Central Pacific went through as the Union Pacific was coming from the plains towards the mountains. But he, unlike other photographers of the time, focused mostly on the men who were constructing the railroad as opposed to simply the landscape and the tracks going through that landscape. And so it gives you a very uh, tight human element as to how this railroad uh, was completed. And... Russell is also known for the, probably the best-known photograph of the American West, and that's the, the meeting of the, the shaking of the, the hands east and west on May 10, 1869. Yeah, it's an iconic photo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that uh, sounds like a, a wonderful book. 
Yeah. That's perfect. And there are a number of exhibitions up in the Salt Lake area and, of course, up at Golden Spike National Historical Site on May 10th. There'll be a huge celebration. Yeah. And there's also an exhibit right now over at the Brigham City Museum, and I, it's a photographic exhibit, I think, mostly. Not, but I'm not sure if it's just one photographer or, you know. But it's about the railroad. Yeah. Sure. And if sure. I could put in a plug forward, we'll have a special uh, radio documentary airing on May 10th. Uh, Mary Harris and Kirsten Swanson are putting that together. And if you have a, a history uh, connected to railroads, um, contact us here at the station. Mary and uh, Kirsten are looking for those, putting those together. They've collected quite a few very interesting sort of side histories that they're going to put together. So, Andy, what's next on your list? Next is a posthumously released collection of essays from our very good friend Ellen Malloy. It's uh, hard to believe Ellen's been gone for 15 years. She was a Bluff resident, had published uh, and written uh, Raven's Exile, Last Cheater's Waltz, uh, Eating Stone, and Anthropology of Turquoise. And one of your sister stations, uh, KUER, hosted Ellen for a number of years in the 1990s, and she would drive up and read <coughs> short essays that she had composed. Yeah, I remember and that, And they were yeah. composed just for the radio. Mm-hmm. And so these are, are have never been in print before. They're very short, but they are wonderful examples of, of Ellen's wit and wisdom. And I want to read a couple of very short pieces. Okay. This is from Toad's. If you are a toad in the desert, nature has designed a simple strategy for reproducing yourself. It rains, you sing, you copulate very quickly. <laughs> it's Ellen Malloy, okay. From <laughs> Ellen's short essay on lawns. In Utah, God wants you to have a lawn. An unkempt, weedy yard around a house can mean only one thing. The person inside is dead. <laughs> well, that is good. <laughs> yeah, and boy, that's more true than we'd like to admit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the book is broken into four seasons. It's titled Seasons, Desert Sketches by Ellen Malloy. They're very short, humorous, witty, uh, yet in-depth essays, and it will introduce a whole new generation of readers to the beauty of Ellen Malloy's writing. Yeah, oh, wonderful. That's, that's, that's wonderful. That's yeah. one I'm going to want to pick up, I think. Yeah, that's, that's great. What What's next, Andy? How about Crimson Cowboys, the remarkable odyssey of the 1931 Claflin-Emerson expedition, written by Jerry Spangler and James Ayton. This expedition, 18, 1931, is probably the least known archaeological expedition in Utah, the reason being that when Harvard's Peabody Museum came out here, they spent six weeks, spent... 400 miles traveling on horseback, surveying primarily Fremont prehistoric sites, including uh, well-known sites today of Horseshoe Canyon, the Tavafoots Plateau, and much in the Uinta Basin, so up towards your neck of the woods between us and you. Yeah. But a report was never written, and so there were thousands and thousands of documents from this expedition, but for reasons unknown, perhaps because of the Depression, no formal report was ever produced. And so Jerry Spangler and James Ayton, especially Spangler, who's, who's known for his work in Nine Mile Canyon, 
Uh, they found this treasure trove back at Harvard, received permission to spend several years going through the archives, and have finally published this amazing book. It's chock full of great photography from the expedition, but it also takes some of the research from that and takes it into the 21st century. So it's a great mixture of a 1931 archaeological expedition followed up with present-day knowledge of uh, the archaeological resources of the Fremont. Well, that's cool. That sounds great. Yeah, I've, I've loved the Nine Mile stuff, so this sounds mm-hmm. really good, too. Yeah. And, and Spangler, uh, is he still with, was he with the Trib? He was with one of the newspapers. I think he was with the Trib, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds wonderful. Crimson Cowboys, the Remarkable Odyssey, the 1931 Claflin-Emerson Expedition. Okay, great. How about some fiction? Yeah. I love the writing of Peter Heller. He has just published his fourth book following Dog Stars, The Painter, and Celine. Both Dog Stars and The Painter were quintessential Western novels with very strong male protagonists. Celine kind of went off the rails for me, but he's back with The River. This is a ostensibly an idyllic story about paddling the Canadian wilderness in canoes, picking blueberries, having conversations. The two protagonists are Jack, who's a Coloradan, who loves his uh, camping and hunting. And then his college buddy, Wynn, from Vermont, uh, brings an Eastern sensibility to the novel. He's a gentle soul with a huge love of literature. But partway through their idyllic trip, uh, they begin to smell smoke, and that's the first hint that something's going wrong. And then they hear, not see, but hear a scene of domestic abuse, and finally they stumble upon a couple of uh, drunks floating down the river. And you put those three things together, and it makes for an extremely riveting and tense novel that I truly was not expecting the twists and turns that this novel and river uh, would take. There's a dark streak in the book, and yet there is something very, very compelling and just propelled me forward down the river by Peter Heller. Yeah, that sounds... The hair on the back of my neck is up. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's... uh, it starts off calm, and, and <clears throat> that's the last calm flat water you'll have in that book. Yeah. Uh, Peter Heller's wonderful. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great Absolutely. recommendation. And finally, one last book, On the Rivers. This was just released this week. It's Heather Hansman's Downriver, Into the Future of Water in the West. University of Chicago published this. And this is probably the first in-depth look at the ecology, the science, and the management of the Green River. We all know about the fabulous Colorado River, mm-hmm. but not nearly as much has been done on researching the Green River. And Heather took a pack raft, simply a, a, a raft that you can literally pack and backpack down into a canyon, and he's, she spent a good part of a year rafting the 730 miles of the Green River from the Wind River Range down to uh, what we call the center of the universe or the confluence of the Colorado and Green Rivers. And along the way, she interviews uh, fishermen, farmers, uh, water managers, dam managers, and truly looks into the, the health of the ecosystem of the Green River. 
it's an extremely timely book, extremely well-researched, and it's an easier read than some of the more scientific books on water management. I'm really proud to have uh, met Heather. She came through the store a few months ago, and, and we're going to host her later in the year. So it's, a, again, a timely book, Downriver, Into the Future of Water in the West by Heather Hansman. Oh, that's great. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I, I love love those kind of books. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, Andy Nettles, those are some great books, so we'll have to we'll have to get cracking at reading. <laughs> That's right. i got to stay awake longer. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, oh, very good. Thanks, Andy. Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books. Appreciate those suggestions. Thanks. You are so welcome. Have a okay. wonderful morning. Okay, you, you too. too. And bye now. Uh, still to come, we'll be talking, get the new book suggestions from Ann Holman from uh, um, the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, and then Catherine Weller from uh, Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City as well. And um, Elaine Thatcher is with me. Uh, Elaine, what's next on your list? Well, you know, I um, I, I, I read a Graham Greene book. I think this is the only one I've read ever, but I loved it. Um, it's called The Human Factor. I looked at some reviews of it from the—it's from the 1970s. And uh, some reviewers at the time thought he was not at the height of his powers with this book. But I have to say it was very compelling and— um, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a thriller. Not, it's not the kind of thriller we see today. It's not just all action, and it, it's it's really quiet in terms of how it works. But it's uh, about a a man who works in MI6, and um, uh, there's a there's a mole, there's a spy oh, in, the, yeah. in the ranks, or Intriguing. a double agent, and and uh, and the human factor is about all those things around us that you know, especially these agents, their personal lives can impinge on their work, you know, even though it's not supposed to. Yeah. And interestingly, I mean, you know, interestingly enough, I just finished watching Mrs. Wilson on, uh, on uh, PBS, which is about a, a guy who was an agent, but very mysterious, was a bigamist. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really interesting story. But this Human Factor by Graham Greene, I have to say, was really interesting and had a twist in it that I did not expect. Oh, those are always good. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to give it away. So that's, I'm not. that's good. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear what you're reading. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Uh, and you can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're compiling a UPR community book list. This will be up in about an hour on our uh, uh, website, and uh, we're helping each other with some great suggestions. Before we go to a break, I want to get to these two suggestions in from our listeners. Uh, Anita Kingdom says, Just Finished and Frank Remembered by Meep Gies. hope I'm pronouncing the author's name right. Very well written and a fascinating read. So, and Frank Remembered. Hmm. Well, that sounds fascinating. I've heard, I've heard the title of yeah. I, I should check it out. And Paul and Logan called. He says he recommends A Call for Revolution by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He says it's a love letter to the millennial generation. Oh, interesting. A Call for Revolution by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That's a suggestion from Paul in Logan. So, so I wonder if Paul is a millennial. Yeah, I, I wonder. <laughs> uh, love letter to he, he himself. But yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's wonderful. So a wide range of uh, books here. Yeah. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with uh, Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Corn agriculture spread quickly throughout Utah with the emergence of the newly developed culture that we now call the Fremont. 
Their population peaked with widespread agriculture, large villages, and artistic expressions between 900 and 1200 AD. During their final centuries in Utah, the social fabric holding Fremont culture together became strained by scarcity in land, drought, and population growth. These stressors caused conflict and inequality, resulting in the abandonment of a distinct Fremont lifestyle. However, the Fremont way of life did not end suddenly. Rather, Fremont culture ended much in the same way it began, through the blending of ideas and practices over time. This segment of Anthropology, What's It To You, has been made possible by our members and the USU Museum of Anthropology collection, including pre-Columbian Peruvian ceramics, Indonesian textiles, and Great Basin. Details at anthromuseum.usu.edu. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're compiling a UPR community book list. That'll be up uh, later on our website, upr.org. You can contact us here. We'd love to know what's on your list. Give us your whole list. Give us one book, maybe a new book, maybe reaching back into the past. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495 is the number to call. Or you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. Um, here is uh, an email from Clarence and Barbara Hale uh, who say, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by mm-hmm. D. Brown. This is the saddest book I ever read. It's the story of the conquering of the American West from the Indian point of view, very well documented. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, that was required reading in my household, uh, my yeah. father's household. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, Dee Brown was uh, well-known. I lived in South Dakota <clears throat> for a while, and, and uh, yeah, he was a well-known figure there. And I, could I add to that, uh, and I just interviewed him recently, uh, David Troyer. Um, he has a, a book out called The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee. It's kind of a reaction to an updating of uh, mm. Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Mm. And one of his uh, points in his book is, uh, and the subtitle is Native America from uh, 1890 to the Present, uh, he's saying we kind of fixate on that history of Bury My Heart and Wounded Knee. You know, it's not to say it's not valid, but there's a lot more to Native American there's history. There's been a whole he says, lot yeah, since then. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, so I would add to that the heartbeat of Wounded Knee, but certainly Bury My Heart and Wounded Knee is, is a wonderful, wonderful a classic, book. Good yeah. read. Uh, we bring in now uh, Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Hi. I, um, I asked Andy Nettle this earlier in the hour. We, uh, Elaine uh, said that she's uh, kind of reached back into the past. Uh, you're reading some Michael Pollan, right? Yes, and Graham Greene. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Graham Greene, yeah. Uh, so I wondered, I, I'll ask you the same question here. You're, Of course, you're focused on new books, <laughs> bookseller, right? But uh, <laughs> do you have time to reach back if you, you know, have, have a gap in your, in, your, in your book list? You know, I do. In fact... Uh, my book club is about to start reading Stoner, 
It's by John Williams, I think. I might be getting that wrong. It's a very old book that the New York Review of Books brought back, and it's one that's been on my list for 20 years. And so I'm grateful that the book club finally said, okay, we're going to read this. And I thought, oh, I get to go back and read something I've always wanted to read. Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, that is John Williams, yeah. Uh, 1965, according to Wikipedia. I just Mm. looked up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's old. Um, He's got the fastest fingers. I think it's the New York Review of Books best-selling book. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm anxious to read it and talk about it. But yeah, yeah the the pressure is always on to read the new books the, and the books the, that are coming out, books. and it's hard to go back. Um, so and there, pick up the old ones. I'm sure there's some great new ones. What's on your list? Well, I I have to say my favorite that's new is called The Night Tiger. The um, the author is Chinese, and I think it's pronounced Yang says Chu, and I'm sure I'm mangling that, and I'm, mm. and I'm sorry about that, but it's a sort of a um, magical realism romance. It takes place in 1920s Malaysia. And it's about a young girl. Her mother is um, becomes widowed, and she marries a man who's not very nice. And he has a son. And it's the story of the young girl and the son, but at the same time, the mother is um, <laughs> wild for... Um, um, she's a gambler. Um, and she's playing a lot of mahjong and losing a lot of money. And so her daughter hires herself out as a dancer. Um, and that's all she does. She's not a prostitute, but she does do these dancing. But she has to keep it secret because her father-in-law, her stepfather, will be so mad at her. And she's terrified that if he finds out about her mother's gambling debts, he'll turn them both out. So while she's doing that, the son goes off to medical school a few hours away. But as these two grow up, they realize that they love each other. And so it's the story of these two young people and these and these just crazy characters. And running throughout the whole thing is this myth of a man who can turn into a tiger at night and kill people. And is it true or is it not true? <clears throat> so it's kind of a mystery at the same time. It's wonderful. It's wonderfully romantic historical fiction. Uh, that, yeah, that sounds, a lot of things going on there. It sounds great. What was that title again? The Night Tiger. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And then I also want to mention The River. Peter Heller is one of my favorite authors. Um, I think you agree, Tom, with the dog star. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Painter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The River is his newest um, novel, and it's about two boys who come from very different backgrounds, one a little bit better off, one not so much, but they meet in college, and they love love, love to read literature, and they love to be outdoors, specifically fly fishing. So there's a lot of that talk in this book. And what they're doing is taking a last river trip up into the Canadian wilderness before they have to go back to school. It's kind of the middle of nowhere, and a few days in, they see over the ridge that there's a fire, and they know right away that it's bad and that they're going to have to, it's going to take everything they've got to outrun it. And that's when they start to run into people and situations that they can control and not control. And it's what happens as they're racing up the river to get away from the fire, and they're also trying to contend with all of these people and all of these different issues. Really fast-paced, really um, edge-of-your-seat, and also just some beautiful, beautiful sections on fly fishing. Uh, great yeah. Father's Day gift. Oh, yeah, it sounds like a, a great combo. I think I'd like that one, yeah. 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 <clears throat> and then The Wall is a new book from John Lanchester. You might remember him from Debt to Pleasure, and he also wrote Capital a number of years ago, which I also loved. The Wall is post-apocalyptic, 
and not too far in the future because these young kids are getting drafted to spend two years on what's the wall, and it's basically what's keeping us safe from them. You're never sure who us is and who them is, but you you sense this young man's um, anger at his parents because they it wasn't that long ago that he was able to sit and watch TV or they were able to sit and watch TV or go to a bar or do whatever. And it's all different now. It's not focused, it's not the kind of post-apocalyptic where people are eating each other and they're zombies. It's really realistic. And it's about these young people's feelings about, you know, being basically drafted into the army and how hard it is. And, um, really interesting descriptions of what happens. And it's just, you know, a, a, the new normal in this world. I, I thought it was really great. That, yeah, that um, sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, tell us the title and author again. It's it's The Wall, and okay. it's by John Lanchester. Okay, hmm. great. And then I also just wanted to remind everybody that Gentleman in Moscow finally is out in paper. Oh, and good. if there's anybody left in the universe that hasn't read it, now is the time. <laughs> I haven't. Like I said, I'm always 20 years behind. So. <laughs> and did, did you... Oh, it's just a delightful book. Just a delightful book. And did you have the, did you have the author out? Okay. We had the so, author out last yeah. last Tuesday, yeah. and he mm-hmm. was marvelous. In fact, he did this slideshow, and he didn't really talk about the book. He really talked more about the history of Moscow, the revolution, um, how people were surviving and not surviving. And one thing he said that I thought was so interesting is during the during the revolution and the um, and the the rise of the Communist Party, only about 10% of Russians were communist. In fact, it wasn't like everybody had to be communist. It was a privilege. And that's such an interesting thing to think of. I've always just thought they were all communist, and it was mm. hard, and yeah. everybody was poor, and and it wasn't like that at all. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got plenty of signed copies in stock, and it's just a book anybody can love. It's uh, Amar Towles, is it? I don't know how you pronounce his name. Amor, I think it's, I think it's Amor, Amor, Amor Tolls, we figured Amor out. Amor Tolls, Amor okay. Tolls. <laughs> yeah, 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 wonderful book. Now, now out in paperback, okay. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then let me just run through a couple of nonfiction. Okay. Um, you, I think you interviewed Craig Childs for Atlas of a Lost World. I believe so, time? yeah. I think so. I've interviewed him. I, I, I lose track, but it's, but yeah, it, yeah he's, 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 a, he's a wonderful author. He's a great author. Anyway, his newest book, Atlas of a Lost World, is Travels in Ice Age America. That's new in paper, so also great for Father's Day coming up. And then The Feather Thief is also about to come out in paper. This is a fascinating story about people stealing feathers, not only for people's yeah. hats and clothing, but for fly tying, and oh, yeah. how all these, these birds went extinct because <clears throat> people were stealing Interesting. the birds and killing them. A whole a whole subculture, right? Feather. Yeah. 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 Feathers. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so that's out in paper. That's coming out in paperbook. Coming back in paper. And then finally, yeah. Ruth Reichel has her latest memoir. I think she's so funny and, and so interesting. And this is called Save Me the Plums. This is her memoir of her time at Gourmet Magazine. And if you <clears throat> have read her at all, she's just funny, and she's somebody who, for whatever reason, has had an enormous amount of good luck in her life, being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people at the right time. But she's very humble, and she's very funny. And really, at the end of the day, she just loves food. Huh. And that's so. This is called "Save Me the Plums." Save me the my plums. My gourmet memoir <laughs> yeah. by that's, Ruth Reichel. Well, that'd be good too. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely pick that up. I uh, <laughs> love love a little humor. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, well, thank you so much. That's a great list. 
Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. We'll, we'll get that up on our website, upr.org here. Sounds good. Okay. Ann Holman uh, uh, in, from the King's English. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye now. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking with Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks, getting some uh, great recommendations from uh, for new books and uh, maybe for older books yeah, uh, as well. The, I'm the, uh, I'm the uh, old book source. Yeah. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, I have become enamored of a series by Jacqueline Winspear called, uh, well, it's the Maisie Dobbs series. And I have to say, I have read a lot of series, but I get really out of patience with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read, um, I've read the whole Game of Thrones series. I've read the whole Outlander series, all those kinds of things. Um, but I don't watch the shows because mm-hmm. I would rather have my imagination than, yeah. you know, and I can't stand it when they act out all that violence. Mm-hmm. But but um, um, these books are about a young English woman who becomes a private investigator in the 1920s. And she has a backstory, and she's, she was a, a nurse in the um, First World War. And so there's a, a nice backstory about her, and it, it figures into— I've read three of these books now, Maisie Dobbs series. The last one I read was Pardonable Lies. And uh, they, they just have a little more— I get really out of patience with cozy mysteries, and, and you know, I just— I, I kind of lose interest, but uh, these I don't lose interest in because the characters are so interesting. Yeah, that, that's a key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the characters. So the author is ja- Jacqueline Winspear. Jacqueline Winspear. And what's the title? Uh, this one is Pardonable Lies. Uh, that's the third one in the series, and I can't remember. Um, Birds of a Feather was the second one, and then there was another another one earlier. The first one, I think, was just Maisie Dobbs. Okay. All right. Um, well, let's uh, let's go to um, uh, another break, and uh, then when we come back, we'll have another bookseller, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks. We hope to hear from you as well. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. You may be reading something that we'd love to read, so yeah. that's why we're compiling a UPR community book list. We'll have this up on our website, upr.org, a little later. Uh, so you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com, and uh, you can call us, 800-826-1495. Um, I'll just tease this. I'll, I'll talk about this following the break. I'm reading a couple of massive biography series, one where the author didn't make it and had to have a co-author finish, <laughs> and one where we're all praying that he uh, finishes Volume 5. Oh, wow. Uh, he's getting older, so we'll <laughs> talk about that. I've, I've jumped into those two those series. Uh, we'll talk about that following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah, a monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with the spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. Utah Public Radio is part of something that has never happened before. UPR is one of six NPR member stations chosen by StoryCorps for a new project they've been working on. StoryCorps has been curating conversations between loved ones for years. Now they are attempting to put strangers together, folks who are on the opposite side of the political aisle, to have a conversation. The project is called One Small Step. We will be traveling around the state of Utah collecting these conversations with the hope of having people realize that we have much more in common than we think we do. 
We are looking for people who are willing to participate, people who are interested in talking with a stranger who, at first, may seem like they have nothing in common. Is this something you'd be interested in? We hope you consider participating. Anybody is welcome. Just go to upr.org and click on the One Small Step link. That will take you to a page with information, examples of these kind of conversations, and most importantly, a questionnaire all hopeful participants will need to fill out. Again, go to upr.org and click on the One Small Step link. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Elaine Thatcher is uh, with me, and we're doing what we do periodically. We're compiling a UPR community book list. We know that uh, public radio listeners are avid readers by and large, and uh, it's it's nice to come together as a community and uh, show what we're reading. And uh, I've learned, Elaine, uh, just from this hour, some books that I really want to pick up. So that's what we're doing yeah, here. that's right. Sharing our book list. Uh, you can reach us a couple of ways. We'd love to know what you're reading. One book on your list, maybe several, could be older. We're, Elaine and I are both reaching back into the past, or it could be new, and we're talking to booksellers. 800-826-1495 is the way to reach us, 800-826-1495. Or you can uh, reach us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Now you have to give us the answer to your teaser. Okay, let's uh, l- let's hold my teaser until after our <laughs> caller. Um, uh, let's see. So uh, go ahead with your list. Hi, Tom. Uh, this is Brian. How are you, Elaine? Uh, uh, well, hi, good. Hi, How are you? hi, Brian. Oh, I missed the email, and now that I hear the voice. <laughs> it, it's our friend Brian. <laughs> it's our Thank- friend Brian. <laughs> Thanks. Well, what do you have well, on your I list, Brian? Understand, yeah. I understand that somebody already called in about nothing like it. Uh, the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. Uh-huh. Yes. I had to get another shout-out for that one. Oh, I good, yeah. Stephen Ambrose. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah Stephen then, Ambrose, okay. No, I, th- I think this, no, was a, no, this was a different book. Yeah, so that's this, not, yeah. No, we, that's, we haven't oh, had that oh, one yet. Okay, so. great. I okay. missed the first part of the program, but it's just, um, nothing like it. It's just wonderful about the Transcontinental Railroad. And you find out all these little facts that you didn't know about before. And... Um, Judah, the, the surveyor for the um, Central Pacific, was just amazing at how he found that route over the mountain. Anyway, that's it's a great book. And but the one I really wanted to talk about, see if you either one of you had read it, is "This Is Your Brain on Music." It's the science of a human obsession. No, but I've seen by it by Daniel Levitin, author of *The Organized Mind*. Anyway, it's just a, a book about music, mixing music and science, the science of music in an everyday sort of way, and I've just been, they've got this, uh, I guess, in the library, but I've just been reading parts of it. It's just really fascinating, but it's, this is your brain on music. By mm-hmm. D- Daniel Levitin. Yeah. yeah, great. By the way, Brian, um, I, I can imagine maybe you've you've marked out May 10th. You got that, are you going to be out at Golden Spike? I, what, are you, what are you doing on May 10th? <laughs> I am going out to Golden Spike, and it's going to be a marvelous day. It's going to be so crowded, but I was there when I was five years old. I remember sitting on a curb eating my grandmother's egg salad sandwich. <laughs> I remember the trains and lots of people, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't imagine. I'd, I'd picture you there, so that's great. I'm, I'm glad to know that you're Yeah, you're I've, we've got the tickets, and I, I don't know if they've opened up another round but they had sold out, I think, of their first two two rounds of tickets. So, yeah. But it's worth going online and finding out. Yeah, this, this is the big anniversary, so once in a lifetime. Yeah. Yep. 
well, th- years. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for those. Great. We got them down. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> thanks, Brian. See ya. Okay. I think we have uh, Catherine Weller um, from Weller Bookworks. Uh, Catherine, um, welcome uh, to the program. Oh, thank you. It's good to be with you again. Uh, so I, I teased before the break, and uh, to satisfy <laughs> Elaine's curiosity, if no one else's, um, my tease was I've gotten into two massive bi- biographical trilogies, or more than trilogies, series, one of which where the author died and had to get his friend to, uh, finish, to, it. to finish it, and the other one where we're all holding on. The one where we're all holding on is Robert Caro. Um, right, and he's 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 out with a new book, but it's not volume five in the Lyndon Johnson series. He says that's going to take several many more years, several oh, wow. more years, and he's getting older. So we're all praying for yeah, Robert Carroll to hold on. Yeah, but it, it's such so wonderful. I'd heard so much about it. I just jumped into it in the last few months, and um, but it's it's as advertised. And and it, Lyndon Johnson's life is fascinating. Yeah. Robert Carroll does so much more, and the 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 whole opening passage on the history of the Texas Hill Country is just worth the price of admission in and of itself. Oh, that's great. Uh, the other one is uh, the Last Lion, the uh, a trilogy on um, Winston mm-hmm. Churchill, William Manchester, and he had to get his friend Paul Reed to finish it because he felt like he was coming to the end of his life, and he, and he was, so Paul Reed finished <laughs> it. But uh, there again, the, the opening passages, he has a whole extensive, could be a book in itself, on what life was really like in Victorian England. Those were the growing up years of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, Winston, Churchill, uh, yeah. Winston Churchill. Cool. So William Manchester and Paul Reed's um, the, the Last Lion trilogy, and then Robert Caro's series on... Uh, on Lyndon Johnson, I've uh, that'll be a lot of reading ahead of me. I yeah, I think so. So uh, anyway, Catherine Weller, what's uh, I imagine you're focusing on new books? What's what's out there new? Yep, I am focusing on new books. I've got a few things here. Um, I wanted to, I as I listen to the show, um, I am always really interested by the sometimes conscious and some kinds of unconscious themes that develop throughout a show. Um, Andy with his rivers and um, and with her things that are and are not like they are, not always what they seem, but they are that too. And I just realized that my nonfiction theme is uh, travel okay. uh, in okay. various ways. So my first yeah, book is a fascinating book. It, it has one of those really interesting first chapters. It's called Real Queer America, LGBT Stories from Red States by Samantha Allen. Oh, wow. And she starts this book by writing about um, being at BYU as a young man. So Samantha Allen is a trans author who grew up in Red America and still consciously lives in Red America, though she's no longer in Utah, she's in Georgia. And this book is so interesting because it's about people, many people's experiences in places one wouldn't expect to find people who are LGBTQ living and feeling comfortable, at least not on the surface. But as she delves into these people's stories and the stories of their communities, you can see very much why they're, they live there and they're happy there and they're comfortable there. It doesn't mean there aren't challenges, but it means that being LGBTQ and being in a red state both aren't always what we think they are. So it is 
just such an interesting book, talking about how uh, she came out as trans, which wasn't at BYU, it was in Georgia, and other people across the country, people who are in Texas, people who are in small towns, people who are in Indiana. It is just a wonderful book to really get a feeling for how some people are living today in ways we wouldn't expect. Yeah, uh, t- tell us the uh, title and author again. Real Queer America and Samantha Allen is the author. Yeah, yeah those are the best kind of books where you where you you know your perspective shifts, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, they talk very consciously about why they're not living in places like San Francisco or New York City, um, and it's really neat to read. Oh, that's yeah, that's great. Uh, what's next on your list? Next on my list is. Just another delightful book. It is a romp. It's called Greek to Me, Adventures of the Comma Queen by Mary Norris. <laughs> Did you guys remember her first book? Y- yes, I interviewed her for that book. Yeah, so this, she's got yes. a new one out then. Okay. She does. This is just out. So her first book was Between me, You and Me. Uh, she called herself the Comma Queen. She's a copy editor at New Yorker magazine. And while that talked about being a copy editor and grammar, this is a really interesting backstory from those good old days in publishing is when it starts, when uh, magazines had money to do things like encourage their employees to get more education on a topic and help fund it. And so Mary Norris was able to convince the New Yorker magazine that she needed to study ancient Greek to really be able to understand the language and edit it very well. So she studies ancient Greek at New York University, and then she travels to Greece and spends, over the period of this book, several episodes, several almost lifetime. She keeps going back to Greece because really she loves it. She loves ancient Greek culture. She loves the ancient Greek language and the modern Greek language. And this book is a love letter to traveling through Greece and to language itself, to really delving into language and seeing where it comes from and what makes it distinct and how it evolves. There are things I learned in here um, and things I just gloried in because of her wonderful storytelling capabilities. It's not didactic. Um, it, it's not setting out to teach you a lesson. It's setting out to talk and tell you about these things. It's just wonderful. I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think I'd like that one, too. I love the previous book, so that's, yeah. T- tell us again the, the author and title. It is Greek to Me by Mary Norris. Yeah, oh, wonderful. And my last nonfiction title is by Barry Lopez, who we all know is a travel writer for decades. Uh, his book, his, one of his big books, the one that won the National Book Award, was Arctic Dreams. And he has a, a tome that he has just published called Horizon, which covers several pieces of travel he's done from the 1980s into the present, from everywhere in say, the Galapagos, his own home country in Oregon, uh, just throughout, oh, Canada, Kenya, Australia, throughout different parts of the, the, the book. It is, it's autobiographical, but it, it's important to distinguish that it's not an autobiography. It really 
talks about travel and exploration and how it's come to define him as a person, what he has learned from it, what he has gathered from it. And it's also a rumination of a man who is aging, who has cancer, and who is thinking about the world he leaves behind and how it's changed in just those decades that he has been traveling and writing and how the landscape has changed, the peoples have changed, the ecosystems have changed. Uh, it is lovely, and it sounds dark, but it's really full of hope in a lot of ways. There are these glimmers and these moments of transcendent beauty that Barry Lopez does so well. Yeah, I always, always love Barry Lopez. Yeah. So tell us the title again. Horizon. Horizon. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. Yep, easy title. one word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one word. There you go. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you have another on your list? Yeah, do we have time for a bit uh, of fiction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, maybe one more? One more is this. I'll give you another romp. It's called Daisy Jones and the Six, and it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This is an interesting premise for... Uh, well, it's an interesting structure of the novel. The book is about a band that started in the late 60s, grew to be the mammoth stadium-filling rock band of the 70s and late 70s, and finally implodes on itself and falls apart. It follows the, the members of this band, in particular Daisy Jones, who is a, an independent musician that the band picks up, and then their, their lead singer, Billy. What makes this novel so interesting is its structure. It is ent- it's, like, it's an oral history, really. It is laid out like an oral history. There's no connecting paragraphs. There's uh, no description. It is entirely dialogue. So you start with a line that says Daisy, and she describes being this young woman who is growing up in Hollywood at this particular time, and then you see somebody else's name, say the name of her best friend, Samantha, who talks about her artist father and her model mother and how impossibly beautiful Daisy is and intelligent and wealthy. And then there's Billy, the band leader, who writes about the first time he encountered her and what a train wreck he thinks she is. And it's really interesting for these different perspectives of the same incident that one gets because it's just different people talking about the same thing through the progress of the book. You think it would be plotting, Mm -hmm. but really it's quite entertaining as you watch this band work on songwriting and making an album and trying to become famous and then becoming famous and dealing with addiction and alienation and pride. Uh, It's and it's fun. It sounds, just a sounds fun, almost fun read. Almost like a seven samurai approach to to a novel. Rather like yeah. uh, it also reminded me a bit of um, George Saunders' last book um, about Lincoln, Lincoln in the Bardo, where the whole book was narrated by imaginary characters in the Bardo and historical characters. And again, it was entirely dialogue, no connecting paragraphs. Hmm. Oh, that sounds fascinating. So, uh, yeah. Tell us, tell us the title and author again. It is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor. Oh, let me look at this because I always <laughs> flip her name around. Taylor Jenkins Reed. Okay. 
Oh, those and are... I did want to mention for yeah. Elaine really quickly, there's a new Maisie Dobbs out. Oh, excellent. Oh, good. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I do enjoy yeah. those. <laughs> she's, so, a, she's a delightful uh, Catherine character. Winspear really has a thing. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that, that's a great list. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much. Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Thanks. Salt Lake City. Thank you. Uh, you can get your list in, uh, get it in here uh, in the next few minutes. We'll get it on our, our uh, website, uh, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, Lynn, I just wanted to, uh, you, you can always depend on me to have some P.G. Woodhouse. You know, <laughs> uh, life gets a little serious, and uh, at the end of the day, I like to some. escape <laughs> into the world of P.G. Woodhouse, uh, you know, with... Silly twits and, uh, and, and interesting and dotty lords and uh, and wise butlers. Uh, so I've been reading The Inimitable Jeeves. That's a Jeeves and Wooster yes, book. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Woodhouse's never fails me. Uh, I usually, <laughs> about every few pages, uh, it's a laugh out loud moment. And I have a smile on my face through the whole thing. Another one is, is something I found. It's called Something New. It's a, it's a totally different um you know, separate from a series. That's a separate novel, but it's it got the got similar type characters. So those uh, are a couple of P.G. Woodhouse books. I uh, just have about 30 seconds. Uh, anything else on your well, list? Well, just want to mention, I read um, uh, Galatea 2.2 by Richard Powers. Now, he's he's a MacArthur fellow, and he's read, uh, he, he's the author of The Overstory. That's his most recent book. And um, this is a story of trying to get a machine, a computer, to be able to react, to take a test and react the way a human would. Oh, wow. And at the same time, he parallels that with the rise and fall of a relationship he had with a woman. And, um, you know, I found it a little bit tedious at times, but all in all, I couldn't put it down. Yeah, Galatea. So, yeah, we'll recommend that. Yeah. So we'll have Elaine's list. We'll have all of our lists up on our website, upr.org. I'll mention uh, tomorrow, it sounds like a fascinating book. We'll be talking about it uh, tomorrow on the program. Born Criminal, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, radical suffragist. Uh, she's kind of a forgotten suffragist, uh, and she had, and she was L. Frank Baum's mother-in-law. Oh, my goodness. If, if you wanted another hook to, to <laughs> tune. So tune in tomorrow, uh, and thanks for listening to Access Utah Today. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.